0: Get busy living, or get busy dying. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Welcome to this week's edition of Taboo Talk with Jay Letter. I'm especially excited today to have for the second time in studio, my ride or die, Missy. Missy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Now, here we are getting close to Valentine's Day. And so we decided that we would do a little candid talk about marriage. And while maybe some outsiders think, well, they've got a perfect marriage. Well, nobody, I guess, really has a perfect marriage. And certainly we have faced plenty of ups and downs in our married life. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today. Now, I'm going to start off. I'm going to talk about how I met Missy. She was actually going to college with my sister And my sister, I think they were sitting, y'all, y'all sitting next to each other in class, wasn't it, Missy? Correct. Yeah. And so anyway, they became friends and my sister realized that Missy wasn't a believer. And so she really wanted to reach Missy for Christ and had been praying for her. And so at the time I was working for my father in one of its convenience stores. And one day Missy and my sister Laura came in and that was the day I met Missy. And I remember... One of the first thing obviously, I thought she was very attractive. I was actually dating another girl that was in college at Texas Tech University. And I think, Missy, were you in a relationship at that time or no?
1: I sure was.
0: Yeah, so we were both in a relationship, but I thought she was attractive. And, and my sister introduced her. And I remember that one of the first things that stood out is Missy had the cutest dimple. And I, I, I guess you don't normally do this, but those of you that know me well, I'm a, I don't know, pretty upfront guy. And so... One of the first things I said to Missy is, I love your dimple. But anyway, I remember when I mentioned her dimple that it embarrassed her, which I thought was super cute. But anyway, again, I was in a relationship, and so was she, and so not really much there. And I was actually scheduled to be in Lubbock, Texas, and I can't remember, it was some type of a cotillion. It was a a formal affair, and so I was all dressed up, and I was about to leave my parents' house, and Missy was actually coming to see my sister And as I was walking out the gate, she was about to walk in. And if I remember right, I think my sister, was she even there, Missy? I think Alara wasn't even there.
1: I don't think she was, no.
0: Yeah, she wasn't there. Missy didn't know that. And so anyway, we started talking. And I thought, well, I'm running ahead of schedule, and we got a little bit of time to visit. And so, you know, we would just sit down and and, and talk out on the patio. And uh, anyway, one thing led to another. And we ended up in a conversation Oh, gosh, I don't know. What was it, Missy? Hour and a half, two hours? I mean, it was a long conversation. At
1: least, yes. Yeah,
0: it was a real long conversation. And again, mind you, I'm supposed to be in Lubbock, Texas. And for those of you that don't live anywhere near where we're at, it's about, I don't know, three, three and a half hour drive, I would say. And so by the time it dawned on me that I wasn't going to make the cotillion, uh, this formal event that I was supposed to be at with the girl that I was dating at the time, I remember getting in my vehicle and thinking, wow, you know, I must, I must really be interested in this girl to be willing to be so late to this formal event. And I thought about it a lot. And there was that relationship that I was in was already kind of a rocky relationship. And obviously the girl that I was supposed to be going to this event with was very unhappy, me being so late and us missing it. But We actually ended up breaking up. I kind of knew that that relationship was on the way out, and there was a real interest in Missy, and uh, that's kind of how things got started. But a little bit more of a backdrop on that was Missy, at that time, Missy, I I guess at that time, you still weren't a believer, correct?
1: Correct. Yes, I was not.
0: And Missy, for our viewers, give them, our, our listeners rather, would you give them a little bit of a backdrop as far as, what your spiritual background was, so they can kind of get caught up with where you were. Again, knowing that Alara was trying to reach you and she had been praying for you. Tell our listeners, were you a person who normally went to church or what your background was spiritually?
1: Well, I grew up in a home where we didn't go to church. However, if I visited my grandmother as a very young child, she would take me to the Catholic church with her. And then once I got into elementary school, I did go to a couple of vacation Bible schools at the Baptist church in my hometown. And then when I got into high school, my best friend was Church of Christ. And so every Saturday night I would spend the night with her and we would go to the Church of Christ um, together. And then once I got into college is when I met your sister and she began to share the Lord with me and kind of gradually and slowly, you know, witnessed to me. And then I guess it was sometime in October of 90 is when she invited me to hear you preach in Iowa Park, Texas, at a small Baptist church. And I went, and that was the first night that I had ever heard the gospel presented, the plan of salvation offered. And I knew in that moment that. When I heard the plan of salvation, the Holy Spirit came upon me and really convicted me. However, I didn't know that's what it was at the time, but the conviction was very strong. And as I drove home that night, I pulled my car over on the side of the road and I prayed to receive Christ that night and just asked the Lord to come into my life and to lead me and guide me and be my savior. And I called my sister-in-law as soon as I got home and shared with her that I had gotten saved. And anyway, she shared with her family and I guess then they shared with you. And so then that was kind of the beginning of our relationship.
0: Yeah. Well, what was it? What was your initial response when you met Alara in college and she started sharing the gospel? I mean, I know it was foreign to you, but I mean, were you offended anyway? Or did you think Alara was kind of a religious fanatic or did you take it just, I mean, was there an interest there? What was kind of your initial thoughts as she began to talk about the Lord with you?
1: No, I mean, as we were building our friendship and relationship, obviously she, you know, would mention things about the Lord and her relationship and her faith and kind of share with me in that way. So it wasn't anything awkward or, you know, I wasn't rejecting the gospel. I wasn't like pushing it away. It was just she would slip things in here and there about the Lord. And so planting seeds, basically. And then that night when I heard you preach is when, you know, I actually her the plan of salvation for the first time
0: so it was obvious to you that she was a believer and obviously i mean I, you, i'm sure you would perceived that she was trying to reach out to you and so you know i think some people think gosh i'm so afraid to share the gospel with somebody because what are they going to think or are they no longer going to be in my friend or are they going to think i'm crazy but it's not like a laura was you know preaching at you it's not like she was throwing stones at you she was just making it clear that she was a person of faith And you were receptive to that. And I think there's a message really even in and of itself in that way. I've often said, since nobody had ever shared the gospel with you, what if my sister hadn't? I mean, and obviously nobody knows the answer to that, but y'all met when you were what, 19, 20, how old were you? 19 years old. Nobody had ever shared the gospel. And I can't help but wonder if she hadn't, would anybody else have ever come along and shared the gospel with you? And again, I think there's a message there for our listeners in that, you know people. You work with people. You go to school with people. You may even have family that don't know Christ. And I think a lot of this fear or apprehension of what are people going to think, a lot of it I think is is just the enemy trying to place doubts because I think when it's done from a position of not trying to throw a spirit at somebody or condemn somebody or preach somebody down, but more just a compassionate, loving way, I think it's received as it was with you. Now, I'm going to kind of share my Perspective on it because Alara had told me that she was praying for Missy and had asked me to pray for Missy as well. And so I did. And when I was invited to preach at this small church in a neighboring town to where we live, my sister told me that she was going to bring Missy with her. And before I uh, was to preach that night, Alara walked up to me and gave me a hug and gave me a kiss on the cheek and told me she was praying for me. And she winked at me. And I knew what it meant. What she was saying was is that. Don't forget to pray for my friend that's with me tonight. And so I remember I preached on the wheat and the tares, and I remember that when people came forward, and we had quite a few people that got saved that night. And, of course, I was looking, as I looked out across the crowd of people that had publicly taken a stand that said, I want to receive Christ, I looked for this friend of Missy's, and I didn't see her. And so at the end of my preaching, Laura came up, my sister, and told me, you know, gave me a hug and told me how excited she was for the people that had gotten saved. But I could tell that she was that she was really let down because her college room or her, her college friend had not given their life to Christ. So anyway, later that night, as Missy said, she called Alara and told my sister that she'd pulled her car off from the side of the road, that she had wanted to come forward and give her life to Christ with the other people, but I guess Missy was just fear, I guess. I mean it was so foreign to you that getting out of your seat and coming forward, because I've always made a public, I've asked people publicly. I believe that when people come to Christ, that they should be unashamed. And I think it's something that I don't see any secret service Christianity in the New Testament. I think people, when they are really serious about meeting Christ, that that's something that you do publicly that you want people to know. But nonetheless, Alara called me and she was crying. And so initially I didn't know what was going on. And she was trying to tell me about her Her classmate. And I, my first thought was because of how emotional my sister was, I thought because I knew that Missy lived in a neighboring town about 20 miles away. And my first thought was, and I know this sounds rather macabre, but my first thought was Missy had gotten in a car accident and died. And you're like, well, why would you think that? But you got to understand in years of preaching, you would be surprised how many times that there have been people in the audience that rejected Christ. And that had a heart attack, that died in a mountain climbing accident. I can go on and on and on. But that was my first thought. And then my sister was finally able to get out that Missy had called her and that she'd wanted to come forward, but for some reason she didn't. But between Wichita Falls and Scotland, Texas, 20 miles away, she had pulled her little red Nissan 240SX off the side of the road and had asked the Lord to come into her life. So I had already thought Missy was a cute girl and, and, um, uh, I, I thought she was somebody that was really sweet. But, of course, once Missy gave her life to Christ, she became even more attractive. And so that's kind of how um, our relationship began. And um, I remember at one point we were at the mall. We were hanging out. I don't know if we were, I guess we were shopping or something. And I clearly remember we'd walked out of JCPenney. And Missy at the time was in college. I hope I'm saying this correctly, Missy. Is it it? is it a radiologist or anesthesia? What was it? Radiology. She's, she's laughing <laughs> radiology. She was in school to be a radiologist. And so, or is that how you say it? Radiologist.
1: Actually, I was not in school to be a radiologist, but a radiological technologist.
0: Okay. Well, so
1: not the one who the doctor, but the technician.
0: Okay. Well, I was in the ballpark. So anyway, we were walking out of JC Penney and I knew that I wanted to marry Missy. And I actually told her right then and there as we were walking out, I, that I wanted to marry her. And, um, I don't remember exactly how she said it, but she made it clear that she wanted to finish college before that before she would be willing to get married. But she made it clear that she wanted to marry me as well. And so, Missy, I'm going to let you kind of take over now from here as the story goes on.
1: Well, I have a little different memory of when we talked about marriage, but anyway, I what do, is it? I'd like to hear. <laughs> I remember it was Thanksgiving, and I was we were dating, and it was in Thanksgiving of '92. And we were talking about marriage, and we were headed to your parents to celebrate Thanksgiving. And I told you, yes, I did want to finish school, but I knew that definitely you were the one that I wanted to marry, and you were my person. And so we decided that at that point, for the near future, that we were going to wait till I finished college. However, um, I guess we were neither one walking super close with the Lord at the time. I'd
0: quit ministry, actually. I wasn't even in ministry at the time. I was working for FedEx. I'd seen kind of the darker side of ministry. And um, at one point, I'd been living in Kansas City. And I remember telling my mom and dad, I would rather do anything other than be in ministry because, again, I'd seen the dark side. And so I went through a season of really being kind of angry at the Lord because I felt like I had walked away from everything. I had really given my life to the Lord. And and I felt like I was, you know, paying a price to travel across the country with another evangelist that I was working with and and going into schools, and so I was kind of bitter at the Lord at the time, and walked away and was working uh, at Federal Express, but, but go ahead.
1: So anyway, we went ahead and went to Thanksgiving and um, started a relationship. We were obviously dating at the time and continued to date, and, you know, we got far from the Lord, and Compromised and you know, phys- was physical with each other, and I ended up um, finding out in February of '93 that we were pregnant. And so, then we're put in a position we have to tell our parents, and what do we do? Do we get married now, or do we wait? And we decided that you know, we wanted to be married when the baby was born, so we wanted to get married as, as soon as possible. And <clears throat> when I may as soon as possible. was very quickly we were married in the by the end of april of 93 so things were pushed quite quickly ahead and you know decisions were made you know things obviously that you know i wish we could have done differently things that were done out of order so anyway we started off on the wrong foot
0: it was just a difficult time it was very difficult yeah and And let me stop for a minute, because this is a part of our story, obviously, you know, we're not proud of it, and but at the end of the day, you know, we made a mistake, and and as Missy so accurately said, it was out of order. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody, and I've actually, sometimes I'm leery to tell that part of our story, because some people go, well, gosh, it all worked out for you guys, so what's the big deal? You know, y'all been married for years and years, and you got a beautiful family and three kids and a great ministry, and so, well, but... Yeah, that's true, and yes, we have been married for a long time, and yes, we do love each other, and we have a great family and a great ministry, but that doesn't mean that because we got things out of order that there were not huge consequences for that. It was very difficult. I mean, we already knew that we were going to marry each other, and we already loved each other, but getting started off on that foot, And matter of fact, I've got a staff member that started the same way and that she would also be the first to tell you, that's not the way you want to do it. And there are consequences for it. And some of the main consequences is when we got married, Missy was already pregnant and Missy didn't have morning sickness. She had morning sickness, midday sickness, afternoon sickness, night sickness. And so here you are trying to get to know one another. Obviously it's different living together than it is dating. And then at the same time, you're trying to get prepared to welcome a child and then you welcome your child. And then again, now there's just so much transition there. And so we didn't have that time to really bond and to really build that strong foundation. Yeah, we had a foundation in the Lord, but again, at that time we had both been away from the Lord. And as I'd stated, I'd already quit ministry. And so it was just a very, very difficult way. I would not recommend it for anybody. So we'll fast forward a little bit. We had our our first child and then that was I was, that was such a thrill. I mean, we were so excited. But then again, a lot of pressures that come with that. And so I guess we, I guess it, it finally it culminated. I, I believe, I don't remember how old Kaylee was, but it, what, it was about five years. What, what, I guess uh, Kaylee was about one, would you say? One, two? How old would Kaylee be? I think
1: we, we started marriage counseling before Kaylee came. Okay. And it was just Lane.
0: Oh, it was just Lane. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes the, the, uh, My memory gets clouded, but I remember that, I mean, things were tough at work. I wasn't doing what I was called to do because I was working at FedEx, and I knew that wasn't my calling. And even though I had walked away from ministry, I knew that was my purpose in life. So I was miserable at work. I was miserable at home, not to mention those of you that have heard Missy's story know that uh, Missy also came in with her own degree of baggage and the fact that there had been some sexual abuse when she was young. And so that affected our intimacy, which then again made me feel rejected. And maybe Missy didn't love me. And maybe I couldn't make her happy or couldn't satisfy her. Again, I'm running away from the Lord. And there was just a lot of conflict between us. I wasn't unfaithful to Missy in any way. It wasn't anything like that. But it finally got to the point where I just didn't want to be home. I mean, we argued about everything. And so oftentimes what I would do is I'd get off work, I'd come home and shower, and then I would go to the movies, I mean, almost several nights a week because I didn't want to be home. And we had a friend that knew our situation, and he said, Jay, you need to go to counseling. And pride kicked in, and I told him I don't need anybody else to solve my problems. I'd never been to counseling for anything. But he asked me if I would be willing to go. And honestly, at the time, I thought I don't even love Missy anymore. And one night after I'd came home from the movies, I sat Missy down at the kitchen table and I told her, I said, listen, I'm not cheated on you and I'm not going to cheat on you, but this marriage is over. We'll live together. I will pay the bills. I will provide for you and our son, but you live your life and I'll live mine. I mean, basically, I was looking at it like Missy could just be a roommate, not an intimate roommate, but just somebody else who lived in the home. And Missy, you know, I don't know, what was your thought that night? I mean, obviously you knew our marriage was in trouble. You knew we were struggling. But what was it like for you that night when I came home and we sat down at the kitchen table and I broke that news to you?
1: Oh, I was heartbroken and I was definitely ready to pursue anything to um, save our marriage and, and go to counseling. So I was all on board with it and was ready to go. And I think it was a friend of a pastor friend who was recommended to us and it wasn't long until we began that counseling and along with marriage counseling I was encouraged to start individual counseling for the sexual abuse which I had never addressed or had any type of healing from so starting a marriage off pregnant and then having a child so soon and then having to start going to counseling a few years in for you know some trauma that has never been dealt with for, you know, probably 10 or 12 years. So, I mean, there was just a lot of issues, a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt, a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness on both parts for various reasons. And so it was, golly, we probably were in counseling with the pastor a year, 10 months to a year, I would say, before, you know, I mean, we saw progress, obviously, during that time. And made huge, made huge leaps forward, took some steps back, but we, you know, we made, we made progress and improvement. And, um, so I definitely, I definitely advise it for sure.
0: Well, it was a crockpot of crazy. Cause again, here I'm running from the Lord. Missy's not close to the Lord. I'm in a job that I hate. I'm not following my calling. I feel like that uh, Missy's rejecting me because the intimacy issues that are in our marriage. I don't understand why Missy doesn't want to be intimate. Missy doesn't understand why I don't understand why she doesn't want to be intimate. I look at it like that. That has nothing to do with me. I, you know, I, I had never dealt with anything like that in my own life. And so I took it as re- rejection. I took it as not being wanted. My love language has always been little touch and affirmation. And I'm, I'm, it was, again, I think crockpot of crazy is the best way to say it. And this friend that asked me to go to counseling, I really didn't want to go. I just thought, nothing's going to change the way I feel. This marriage is over. And he said, I've got a pastor friend. I want you to call him. And I said, he said, ask me if I would. And I said, I will. And he said, but when? And so he put a timeline on me. I said, three days. Give me three days. And I waited till the third day. And I intentionally waited till like five minutes after five. So that way I could say to him, yeah, I called. Nobody answered. Well, I called five minutes after five. And sure enough, the pastor was there and he took my call. And so I remember we started going to counseling. I remember the first day we got there, I said, listen, you know, there's no unfaithfulness here. It's not that nobody's cheated on, on anybody. We just don't get along. We don't mesh well together. And, uh, and so we just have marriage problems because I didn't want to be there. I was really copping an attitude and I'll never forget what he said. He said, He stuck his fingers apart, and he said, about an inch apart, he said, you're this close to an affair. And I said, no, you don't know me. I said, not only do I not want to be married to this woman, I don't want any woman in my life. And he said, yeah, but at the rate you're going, eventually it'll lead to an affair. And I said, you're you're totally wrong. But anyway... I I remember two distinct things from counseling. And as Missy said, there were ebbs and flows, and it was difficult. We would go to counseling, and then um, it seemed like we were making progress. And then about the time we'd got over some of the things that we had heard each other say in the previous counseling session, that it was time to go again, and it was reopening wounds. And I remember several times saying, why are we going to counseling? You know, we solved some issues, and then about the time there's peace in this marriage, we have to go back and then reopen the can. I didn't understand at the time that part of the healing process was that very part of it. It was opening up the can. It was digging up bones. It was addressing issues. But the two things that stand out to me the most is I told the counselor in front of Missy, I don't think I love her anymore. And really I was only saying that I don't think so because I thought it was too harsh to say, I don't love her anymore, even though that I felt like I didn't. And Missy made a statement that, and I'm not, I'm just saying that no statement has ever been made to me that hurt me more than that. And I'm not saying that I didn't deserve it. I'm just saying it's one of those things, what you hear and it makes an indelible impression on your mind and you never forget it. And Missy told the counselor, I see counselor, he's a pastor, but she told him, I don't respect him. And honestly, if she would have said, I don't love him, it would not have had near the impact on me that hearing her say, I don't respect him. I know some of our listeners may not get this, but for many men, being respected sometimes mean more to them than being loved. And I, it was such a blow to my ego to think that. And, I, you know, again, that's been years ago, and maybe I didn't deserve respect. I don't know. But I remember it making such a an impression on me and hurt me. And I, I would assume, Missy, when you heard me say, I don't think I love her anymore, I would assume you felt the same way.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I know that for me it was more – I was not going to be a statistic. I did not want to be divorced. I wasn't going to, you know, be the victim of divorce. And so therefore we were going to do whatever we had to do. And that was that was kind of my heart behind counseling was, um, you know, I just, I do not want to get divorced. It's not an option. It's not a part of my vocabulary. And so we're going to do whatever it takes, you know, to work through this.
0: Yeah, and so we went, as Missy said, I don't know. What did you say, a year and a half? Is that what you said? It's so hard to remember.
1: Well, you know, we've we've been to him several times throughout many years. I would say the first round was probably close to a year.
0: Yeah, and we didn't even tell anybody. Our own parents didn't know. We were afraid that if they knew, they would think we're one step away from a psychotic bin some, somewhere. But as I said, there were ebbs and flows. And then for me, the turning point, at, at, while we were going to counseling with this pastor friend, At the same time, I was my life was getting right with the Lord. And I can honestly say that for a long time, I really honestly felt like that percentage-wise, yeah, I probably had 10 to 15%, but 85 to 90 was Missy. And I know that sounds terrible to say that, but I was so blinded to the parts that were my own fault. And plus, I had so much resentment and bitterness, which again, a lot of that stemmed for me from I just felt because of the rejection, I felt so rejected in in this again having me being someone that love language is physical touch and intimacy, and there being such a chasm and such a wall there, I was unable to understand as much as I tried at least for a long time that it wasn't me that was it was it was the intimacy that was being rejected, and it was because of what had happened in the past, and there were certain I think blocks in missy's mind of that even though my husband didn't do that, is that the only reason my husband loves me? And, and that wasn't the case. But again, it was something that she had to work through. But I began to get closer to the Lord and my heart began to change towards Missy. And again, this certainly wasn't overnight. But I remember I never wanted to be home. And one day I stopped at a red light on Southwest Parkway and I was kind of not banging, but tapping the steering wheel with the palm of my hand wanting the light to change. And then the light changed and I'm on my way home. And then this thought hit me. And the thought was, Jay, you're frustrated that the light wouldn't change because you want to get home so bad. And then the next thought was, wow, what has happened to me? I'm the guy that never wanted to be home. I'm the guy that was at the movies every night. And now I can't even wait for a light to change because I want to get home and see Missy. And that thought that passed through my mind I mean, I, I, at that time, I don't think I'd even realized how much my heart had changed towards Missy until I hit that red light. But it was like this awakening. It was like an epiphany that, wow, our marriage is changing. And the way I, I I don't resent Missy. I mean, yeah, there's still things to work through. There's still issues. but. I want to be home. I want to see her. I want to be near her. So, again, it was a lengthy process, and we've talked on many different platforms and forums about marriage counseling. I think it's good for anybody, everybody. Some people say, well, you know, I don't need marriage counseling. Well, I've always said it this way. You tune up your car, why not tune up your marriage? And as Missy stated, you know, we've gone off and on pretty much our whole married life. Our marriage isn't one of those that's always been easy. It, it's been tough. And again, maybe a lot of that goes back to the the way we got started. You know, Mitzi, I mentioned, and when we talk about the five love languages, and I would assume most people who are listening to this podcast are familiar with them. But the five love languages are, and maybe I may not be able to remember them all, but it's physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service. What's the fifth one I've already? Gift giving. And gift giving. And I've already stated that my um, love language is, I would say physical touch first. And and that could literally be sitting in church and just patting my leg. That could be rubbing my back. And then secondly would would be words of affirmation. And Missy, really I know for you, I would say if I remember correctly and just from being married to you all these years, I think quality time is still, would you say that's still your your number one love language?
1: Definitely. Quality time has always been, pretty much my number one especially when as seasons change it becomes more important I think gift giving was you know kind of right up there for a while in our marriage in our earlier years and that didn't mean you know going out and buying expensive things or taking me to an expensive dinner every time we went on a date night but Lots of times you would leave me cards or you would bring me things, small little reminders of you thinking of me when you were traveling and doing different ministry events. And so it was just nice to know that you thought of me, but definitely even now to this day, uh, quality time is definitely uh, my number one. And for some of those, for some of you women out there, that can mean for me, it means go to the grocery store with me. Let's go drive around. Let's go out to the country. Let's have a date night. Let's go to lunch. Let's go on a weekend getaway together. I mean, just sometimes the littlest things. Just sometimes you just need, you know, to watch a Netflix series by yourself at night. I mean, there's just so many ways that quality time means something to me. And so I think there's a lot of ways you can get and give quality time if that's your love language.
0: And what did you say now is your second gift giving was kind of replaced by what?
1: Oh, I don't even know what my second would be.
0: It wouldn't be words of affirmation. And I don't think it would be acts of service either.
1: I like acts of service, but I don't like it when I have acts of service done and letting me know that it was done because you didn't get it done or, you know, vice versa.
0: So what are we left with? If it's not touch, if it's not gift giving, if it's not acts of service.
1: I don't think everybody has to have two. really, I think, you know,
0: just quality time.
1: Honestly, just quality time is is what's most important.
0: And most of our listeners probably are already familiar with this whole concept. I mean, it's universal language about what love languages are. If by chance you haven't heard of it, uh, do some research on it. Because I do think it's very important to be able to understand what makes your other half click. Just because, and, and we tend to, and we learned this, what you tend to do is whatever your love language is, is that's normally what you try to give to other people. And so that normally doesn't work very well because since my love language is physical touch and, and, and closeness, well, that's not Missy's. And so while that resonates with me and that makes me feel good and that makes my motor run, it doesn't hurt. But people tend to do that very thing. They want to, whatever their love language is, they want to give to others. So it's really important, especially you know, when you're talking about your husband or wife, that you understand what that is and that you go out of your way to try to meet that need. Now, you know, Missy, we talked a little bit, i say a little bit. We talked a lot about counseling, and, and as I stated, I think it's good for anybody. I've written a lot of articles about this. Some of them have been, have been featured nationally. But what would you say? I mean, what do you think has been the main benefits of the counseling that we've been in off and on sometimes about our marriage, sometimes individually, sometimes about our kids. But I mean, for the person out there listening, and maybe they're going through a struggle, maybe it's with their kids, maybe their husband, maybe it's another family member. Maybe they're just dealing with their own personal issues and go, gosh, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. And what, what do you think as far as were some of the main benefits, whether it were for you, whether it was for us?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, you need to find someone that you can trust you need to find someone that you feel safe with and it can be a great sounding board for you to come to someone, share your concerns, share your struggles, share your pain, vent, you know, just be honest, be able to tell them anything and have someone that can give an objective opinion and biblical, you know, advice and practical things and see things from a perspective a neutral perspective and i definitely agree that it's definitely beneficial if both parties can participate in in the counseling because that way you know the counselor's not just getting one side of the story but is getting both sides both per- people who have hurts and how they're experiencing hurt and how they're experiencing pain and she can kind of navigate not necessarily go together, but definitely sometimes go together and then individually as well. But you need to have that safe place to where she can, you know, guide you in the changes that need to be made on your behalf and then as well as your spouse.
0: Yeah, and I wanna, I'm want to. i going to throw something out there. It's kind of a zinger. Maybe you're listening today and you go, especially if you're a man, because I think men obviously tend to struggle with pride more than women do, but maybe you're a man listening and you go, you know, I can solve my own problems. I don't need some counselor telling me, well, you know what? That is exactly what I said to the guy that encouraged me to go to counseling. I mean, verbatim. I'm like, I'm not going to any counselor. That's ridiculous, man. I can handle my own marriage and I'll never forget what he said to me. And it might be what you need to hear today. He said to me, oh, so you can solve your own problems. I said, that's right. I sure can. I don't need some counselor. And he said, you're sure doing a fine job of it, aren't you? man, I'll never forget when he speared me to the wall. I mean, what was I going to say? My marriage was getting worse by the day. And yet here I am saying, I don't need anybody else to tell me anything. And it was such a wake up call when he said it, because again, there was no retort because it was true. I mean, if I can solve my own problems, then why haven't I done it? And so there's so many benefits. And not only is it having someone that's neutral. I remember years ago, a friend of mine He was going through some difficulty, I say difficulty, some major marriage issues. And uh, I mean, this has been years ago. This is before I was married. And uh, anyway, I went by his house and we were driving around and we went to pick up this guy, a guy that I didn't really care for too much. And this guy was in the process of a divorce. And so anyway, we hung out for a little bit. And then I noticed that during the night, my buddy had talked to this third party guy that was with us about his marriage and how things weren't going well. And I just remember when we dropped that guy off and we were on our way back to my buddy's house, I said, man, I don't know that he's the guy that you want to get advice from. He's like, why man? He's a great guy. And I said, I just don't know that it makes sense to get marriage advice from somebody who feels about their wife the way he does. And who's in the midst of not being able to solve their own marriage and sometimes I'm amazed at how, you know, we all want to go to somebody who's going to take our side. Uh, we're known for somebody may not take our side, but we always remember the one person that does. But having someone that's neutral, another thing that I would say is, is that, as I mentioned, the person that we went to, he wasn't just a counselor. He was a godly man. And I want to encourage you, I, I would even say if you're not a believer, don't go to counseling unless you can go to somebody that's going to give you give you biblical advice that was so key for missy and i it was somebody who was neutral he was independent he wasn't going to take my side he wasn't going to take missy's side he he was going to lay it out there just the way that it needed to be but he was going to give it from a biblical perspective and you may be somebody that goes well jay i'm not even a believer but that's okay the coming at it from a biblical perspective is always 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 the right thing to do and so, you know, I'm grateful now, too, that counseling is looked at differently. Yesterday, I was on a podcast, a podcast that is it's, it's about hope. And just yesterday, in the process of, of, of doing this podcast, we were talking about how culture has changed, where when Missy and I first started going to counseling, I mean, we didn't want anybody to know. But so many people have come out about mental health issues. That now counseling is looked at in a totally different perspective, and after all, when it comes to saving your marriage, it's your most important relationship. So it doesn't really matter what anybody else says or about what anybody else thinks. But but counseling has been huge for us, and it doesn't mean that we're done. We we may go, we may be back. I mean, we don't have plans to go back next week, but but we may.
1: Sometimes you just need to go for your kids. You're having struggle raising your adult kids, and we've been several times just to get advice and get guidance and how to navigate certain roads with your children who are struggling that are adults or that have had health issues. And so, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. I mean, obviously we're talking about marriage counseling here, but it's, it's definitely helpful for a wide variety of reasons.
0: You know, it's so crazy for me to look back and to think where I was that night that I came and sat down at the table. I thought there was no hope for our marriage. There's no way my feelings will ever change. This relationship is doomed, it is the Titanic. And to think how God has changed that. Yes, there have been ebbs and flows. There have been some major ups and major downs. I don't wanna make it sound like we went to counseling and that everything was just peachy, because it hasn't been. I mean, there have been many, many difficult days. But I look back and think, what if we would have thrown it all away? At the time, I didn't think there was hope. And I know that there are people that are going to listen to this podcast, and maybe nobody knows it. Maybe you go to church every week, and everybody thinks about your marriage the way that people used to think about ours. I remember on a trip to Dallas, a business trip, I was riding with a guy, and he said, man, I hope one day to have your marriage. And I thought, you don't have a clue what we're going through. Outwardly, everything looked good, and maybe that's you. Maybe you got everybody fooled. Nobody knows, but you're thinking this relationship is is never going to make it. We are living proof. You can be at a place where your wife has no respect for you. You can be at a place where your husband doesn't love you, and God can still turn things around. You know, that's the hope of the gospel. That's not just some Christian saying to let go and let God, which doesn't help anybody or bless anybody in any way. No, it's real truth. That Jesus came to give life and to give it more abundantly. That God's will is, if at all possible, to save a marriage. And that while it may seem so bleak today, it doesn't mean that God cannot bring healing. And you might say, well, Jay, man, you don't know what we're going through. I mean, my husband's been unfaithful to me. My wife's been unfaithful to me. I've lost my job. I've lost my – the list goes on and on and on. Maybe my, my kids are having issues. Hey, we had a kid in the hospital for six months straight on our deathbed. We've been through it all. And, again, we don't have it all together. We don't have the perfect marriage. But we are living proof that Jesus Christ can change the unchangeable. And I would imagine there may be people listening to this podcast right now. Maybe maybe there's tears falling down your cheeks because you're hurting so much. I think Missy, about not long ago when that girl, that lady stopped us at the gas station on our way to the DFW airport, and she was talking about how her and her husband were separated. And she, we, we had never even met this lady. She, had, she knew who we were. But there she stood at my truck window just bawling. And, you know, I don't know what happened. We haven't seen her since. But I just want you to know that there is hope that don't throw in the towel. Don't give up on God and don't give up on your spouse. No matter how dark that it seems now, Missy and I would have lost so very much if we would have given in. You know, here it is, February, you know, it's all the cards and the letters and the roses. And and those of you that are married know that obviously it goes so much deeper than a commercial holiday. And at the end of the day, what it all boils down to is commitment. It's staying together when things get rough. Well, Missy, thanks for being on the podcast today. It's always a thrill, even though we've only done it twice, and she's got a smirk on her face right now. The truth of it is, today was like, oh, I don't know if we can do this today. It's been a hectic day, a crazy day. But, man, I, I love you, and I'm not saying that because I want a podcast. I do love you, and I'm committed to you. I thank God that you stuck it out with me because I know that, I have not been and I'm not always the easiest guy to live with, and I adore you. I love you. Thanks for being on the podcast. We will talk to you next time on Taboo Talk with Jay Louder.